come to the end of another year, last Sunday of 2015, and um, it's a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. There are many who would like to be and who can't, and um, we appreciate his goodness toward us. Um, it's always interesting looking back and looking ahead and just thinking about life. It's always a quite a reflective time for me, at least. I don't know for, for others, they just want to get faded and um, they don't want to reflect, they want to forget and keep it moving. But, um, you know, there are those points at which we sit down and we kind of we reflect and we think about our journey and, and where we're at and where we're going. And just really thinking about that, not just on a personal level, but thinking about it on a corporate level for us as a church and really just wanting to kind of get a sense of God's heart in terms of where are we at. And um, I saw a trailer, and I was talking to Kian about it, my daughter, and it was a trailer for um, Batman versus Superman um, film coming out. And, um, you know, these trailers are always hyped in it. Like, they put all the best bits of the film in there. You don't need to go and see it afterwards. But I thought to myself, just the concept in and of itself didn't make sense to me. I'm like, Batman versus Superman. Like, how in the world? First of all, aren't they supposed to be both, like, on the good side, isn't it? Goodies. They're not baddies, they're goodies. And so you would think that they're working together. So how does Batman even, like, become an opponent of Superman? And then on top of that, I'm thinking to myself, but there ain't even no match in that. Surely. Because Batman just has gadgets and contraptions. Superman has supernatural power. Well, that's what, that's what Kian said to me. She was like, no, it's based on the comics. Don't try to get ahead of yourself. It's just like, it works. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, at the end of the day, I sat down and I thought about it. I said, okay, well, it's obviously going to be a big draw. Whichever way I look at it, it really doesn't matter. And I will go and see it as well, even though I don't understand the concept. I'm willing to try. But I thought about the notion of, of Batman versus Superman and how they're both supposed to be, I guess, defenders of that which is good. But there's some kind of sense of competition, at least, if not opposition, between them. And I thought about our journey as a church, and um, even for us locally and specifically over the past year, um, and also just the church at large in general, and just th that, that sense of something versus another, both of which are supposed to be good, both of which are supposed to be um, things that are, are um, not bad in and of themselves, but the sense of versing um, really kind of um, stood out for me. And I began to really kind of think about how it crystallized this, this issue in my mind. Me versus us. Me versus us. Or personal versus corporate. And just seeing how that has been a real issue for the church at large and is an increasing issue for the church from a cultural point of view. You know, in the era of Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and they've got this new thing now, Periscope. You guys heard of that, some of you? And it's, um, it's kind of like live. It's, it's like um, the Insta Vines and so on, but um, you, you can do them live or something like that so people can... I, I, I don't even fully know. But it's, it's just a, a, another means of presenting yourself to the world. And um, really, I, I just... Obviously, our, our culture is saturated with these different mediums. I mean, you take it out of social media and you take it to the TV, and the standard staple TV format that exists today is what? Reality TV. Reality, they call it reality, right? They have a cheek and an audacity to call it reality and then put up their disclaimers. Some of these scenes have been um, put together for your viewing pleasure. And yet, reality TV, and it's not just because it's cheap. 
because everybody wants their 15 minutes of fame and are quite happy not to be paid for it. So there ain't no casting um, payroll having to be done in large amounts for many of these shows. It's cheap TV, but at the same time, it's popular TV. It's popular. And so we're saturated in a culture that is me-centered. Me-centered. And when the culture meets Christ, and when the culture meets Christ, there's a tension there. And there always ought to be a tension because Jesus was, is, and always will be countercultural. Jesus and those who believe in him are not of this world. And so there is always going to be a sense in which we have to wrestle with the tension of how do we follow Christ and glorify him in a healthy fashion within our culture in a way that's distinct and faithful to him. And yet, this challenge of me versus us creeps into our hearts and into our lives in different ways. I was thinking about the way in which so many of our songs, as much as they speak of Christ, they speak of Christ from a me-centered place. You delivered me. You set me free. Um, You are my redeemer. And these are all true statements and they're not wrong in and of themselves. But we become reductionistic when we reduce our perspective to one thing. And so to reduce our perspective to me and to neglect the us and the we and the our becomes detrimental because it leads to self-centered, individualistic, attention-seeking Christians. Ever felt that challenge in your heart? Ever felt like being part of the church is all about getting your needs met? Not being interested in something because it's not according to your liking or preference? Wondering why it is that people don't come and look for you and spend time with you. Feeling like nobody cares about me. Not getting involved in things because you feel like, well, nobody cares what I have to say anyway. The list goes on of all of the different ways in which we begin to feel what we are naturally inclined toward. The promotion of me over us. And it's beautiful because we're going to look, um, we're just going to take a highlight reel through First Corinthians 12 today and see how the purpose and intent of Christ counters, and not counters in a kind of way that just dismisses and demolishes. You know, as Christians, I've learned that and as a Christian, I've learned that I can be very good at bashing things. I can, I can be, people talk about Bible bashing. You know, I, I can be that guy. And I'll be ready to draw verses of scripture to bash this and bash that. And even sometimes indiscriminately without any kind of recognition of what's good. What's really good. And I'm not thinking about that. I'm not trying to answer that. I'm just ready to bash everything that's bad. And as we look at 1 Corinthians 12, we see that there's a real balance. There's a real harmony in this tension between me versus us. So let's pray as we get ready to jump in. Father God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness toward us, for the fact that you are perfect, for you are com- the fact that you are complete, that, Lord, you are not reductionistic. Lord, you are not reduced to any one of your attributes or qualities or perfections, but you are in total all that you are. You are the I am. 
And Lord, you call us into relationship with you to experience the fullness of who you are. And I pray, Lord, as we think about your word today and as we think about just our place in you, our place in you, that, Lord, you would enlighten our hearts and encourage us as we reflect on our journey and look forward to what you will continue to do among us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now, for those who have any level of familiarity with the scripture, you hear me say 1 Corinthians 12 and you're thinking, but whoa, that's about the gifts of the spirit. Yeah, we're going to get it in. Gifts of the spirit. All right, Pastor E, we've been need to talk about that for a long time. Come on, bring it. Well, I, I agree. I concur. But that's not the focus of the chapter in its entirety or of my message today. I'm not going to neglect the reality that's communicated there concerning the gifts of the Spirit. And you're right. It's something that we do need to revisit and um, in, 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 in principle and in practice. And hopefully this might help to set the context for how we view and approach that. But looking at 1 Corinthians 12, we see the Apostle Paul dealing with the issue of spirituality. Spirituality in a, in a maturely practiced way, in a way that ought to be maturely experienced. Not infantile, not childish, but mature. Now, prior to this, in chapter 11, as the apostles spoke about the Lord's table, he highlighted the fact that Jesus is our Lord, that he is the head, that he is the one that unites us. And so you had divisions among the people because they were not um, approaching the table of the Lord, the Lord's Supper or communion. They were not approaching it properly. They were approaching it selfishly. They were approaching it carelessly or inconsiderately for others. And in doing so, they were not rightly considering the Lord. They didn't have a right view of Jesus. So in their selfishness, because what they would have, they, they would call it the love feast or the agape feast. And so it wasn't maybe as we would experience where we have a little wafer and a little cup, but they had food and they had drink. And in that setting, they would honor and mark the Lord's death for us as his people. And yet, the Apostle Paul had to rebuke them in chapter 11, verse 17 and 18. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Things are not running right. Things are not going good. I'm not, I'm not about to big you up right now because you're not doing things right. And he goes on in verse 18 of chapter 11 there. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. So there was something of Paul's experience with the Corinthians that caused him to say, even though I'm just hearing this report of you, what I know of you causes me to know that this is potentially true. Imagine that being said about us as a church. You guys are, you, you guys are exclusivist. You guys are clicky. You guys are... And someone turning around and saying, well, you know what? I don't know all that you're talking about, right? But I know that what you're saying is, <laughs> yeah, I can, I, can, I can believe that. That's not a good look. That's not a good feeling. And so Paul begins to deal with the issue of how they ought to approach the Lord's Supper and honor Jesus who gave himself, who gave himself the complete antithesis, the complete opposite to what they were seeking to do. 
what they were doing. What were they doing? They were putting themselves first. Even at the Lord's table as they're honoring the Lord who gave himself. The two don't add up. And so, he establishes that there is a need to rightly recognize the Lord's body. In chapter 11, verse 27, he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. And in verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So there's strong words here. As we move into chapter 12, Paul's already kind of put the flag in the ground and said, look, this meism isn't what it's about. And actually, it's not just a, a mild thing, it's not a casual thing, but if you are given to this kind of meistic meism, Making up words this morning. <laughs> I was told during the week that, I, you know what, you're not supposed to make things up when you're in the pulpit, including words. <laughs> what can I say? The Lord is gracious. <laughs> if you're given to this meism, you are profaning the Lord's table. You are dishonoring, you are violating the name of the Lord. And so now, in chapter 12, he moves on to address the issue as it relates to their expressions of spirituality among one another. Me versus us. Well, the only way to balance that equation is to put Christ on the top. Because both have a place under Jesus and have a right and proper place under Jesus. So in chapter 12, the Apostle Paul introduces the issue in verses 1 to 3. In verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand. You know that when you were pagans, BC days, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so he's acknowledging, look, BC days, you were following idols. Now, with the profession of faith, is evidence of God's spirit being present and at work. Then he goes on to elaborate on the benevolent giving of gifts by the same spirit, by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit we see that these are gifts of different types. And this is not an exhaustive list because there are additional ones mentioned in Ephesians 4 and additional ones mentioned in Romans 12. And so we see a snapshot, a quick pick, a vine capturing an aspect of the Holy Spirit's work in the lives of his people. And in this we see key verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So we see brought firmly into view me and us. Each receives a manifestation. Individuals experience the working of God's Spirit within them. But why? for the common good, for the good of us all. And there was a suggestion that 
the Corinthians were um, quite, they, they were quite the attention seekers, really. And so what they would do is they would try and display and show off their gifting in order to kind of get ratings. Some of you may have been in that environment. And, you know, I remember growing up in the Lord. I, some of you would have heard me say this before. I remember one day when I was coming up in the faith and um, somebody said to me, do you know what your gifting is? And at that time, I wasn't really sure. That I, I wasn't even really too sure how to respond to that. Are they talking about, like, I don't know, musical gift? Are they talking about, like, academic gift? Or, do you know what your gifting is? And I was like, my gifting? Yeah, yeah, do you know what gift, gift of the spirit that you've got? I was like, um, I'd have to think about that. You know, I'm not really sure. You know what? I tell you, I know that more peop people can have more than one gift, you know. I know one sister, she moves in the nine gifts of the spirit. I thought to myself, I've got a long way to go. <laughs> and there was this kind of sense of like real great esteem and achievement. Nine gifts. <laughs> you know, just listen. And so the Corinthians were of that mind where they were kind of really open to showing off themselves and drawing attention to themselves and really wanting to look spiritual. And it's so easy how in our different ways, we can fall foul of spiritual pride. In so many different ways. The fact that we can find ourselves in a place where our view of ourselves and how people view us is more important than the common good. Sometimes that results in people going overboard to do things in order to look good. Although that's not the only reason why people will go hard. And we'll see that in a while. But then it can also result in people withdrawing and being exclusivist because they feel like they're better than everyone else. And nobody else really knows it like them and nobody else can do it like them. And so, you know what? I'm not really involved because I'm on a different spiritual level. And when I pass my criticisms, people will know that I'm on a different spiritual level because I've always got something to say about everything. Spiritual pride. Whichever way you look at it. And yet verse 7 says of 1 Corinthians 12, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the individual is affirmed. And we see this elaborated on beautifully. God doesn't dismiss the individual. God doesn't X me out of the equation. And say it's all about us. Because without me, there is no us. Without you, there is no us. There's just S. You have to think about that one. Hmm. And so the individual is affirmed. And think about this. That God in his amazing goodness would give his spirit to anyone, let alone to us. We're talking about the holy, eternal spirit of God, who is the third person of the Trinity. He who God spoke and said, let there be light, and he brought light into existence. In fact, we're not given a name for the Holy Spirit apart from the fact that he's holy. He is somewhat mysterious. We may not fully understand him or know who he is, but we know what he is. We know that he is holy. And if we're honest, we know that we're not apart from Christ. And so that in the Savior's work of redemption, saving us, bringing us to himself, that he would bring us into right relationship, cancel our debt, clear the charges against us, and not stop there, but then also go on to give us his Holy Spirit. 
that in itself is cause for eternal praise. And so there's no sense of neglect. A heavenly father isn't a neglectful dad who doesn't care about his children, who doesn't love his children, who doesn't provide for his children. He gave of himself his very own spirit to all who believe. And so there's a real sense of affirming the me. And yet, it's not meant to stop there. They say that the blessings of God are not just to us, but through us. The blessings of God are not meant to end with us and be an end in themselves for us and our lives. But it's merely meant to be uh, an experience by which they are channeled or shared through us unto others. And so we see these different giftings um, communicated. And in verses um, 4 to 6, we see there it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. So there are different types of gifts, but the same spirit. Not everybody receives or experiences the same gift. That in itself can be a challenge for somebody who is quite self-centered. If you're somebody who doesn't like to see somebody have something that you don't have. If you're one of the jealous types, you're like, oh, wow. Uh, I saw that, you know. Brother Barry got a new car. A nice car, man. Amen. <laughs> but you know, I can't rejoice with you, my brother, because I've been wanting a new car for a long time and I've been praying for a new car for a long time. And I don't really even know what kind of work you're doing still. Because I swear you're unemployed. <laughs> And you feel covetous, you feel jealous, unable to rejoice with your brother because you don't have what he has. As we begin to recognize and regard that the Lord works in different people in different ways with different gifts, we have to be prepared to accept that comparing ourselves amongst ourselves becomes futile. Thinking that I should be like brother Barry or Sister Cherry should be like, you get the point. It becomes useless it's, what's the, because that's not how God works in his people. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Meaning there are varieties of opportunity for organized, coordinated use of the gifts. So even in the sense that Individuals are bestowed with gifts. There is a corporate use of them. Even in an organized fashion. In a coordinated fashion. It's not just for me to enjoy at my leisure, on my terms, whenever I want. Because no, verse 7 told us it's for the common good. And so that would also mean me committing myself and involving myself in corporate group activities in order to be of the greatest benefit to all. If I'm one of those people who are just like, you know, I don't really feel like going to church today, you know. Because, well, them guys just talk the same thing over and over again. Furthermore, I wouldn't be missed anyway. Who really cares? I can just put on a podcast, put on YouTube, If we're of that mind, then we're not being faithful to the Lord and his intent in empowering us and in endowing us, investing in us with his gifting. And so meism then trumps 
usism. When it's not meant to be that way. And so we must be prepared to be loyal, be faithful, be committed, be involved. And some of us know that, you know what? That's a challenge at times. That's a challenge at times when people don't seem to appreciate what we're doing. It's a challenge at times when people don't seem to be as committed as we are. It's a challenge at times when actually there are other things that I can do with my time. And so there we have to address the tension, recognizing that Christ has resolved the tension. And under him, the two work together, me and us. We see in verses 7 and 11 that there is a clear sense that the Holy Spirit works in whom he wants, when he wants. So in verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so the individual who has received the Spirit of God, can expect the Holy Spirit to be at work in us, to be at work in you, as He wills. Now, this kind of um, clarifies that it was actually a sister at the time who, you know, I know this sister and she moves in all nine gifts of the Spirit. And... I didn't ask any questions about who, when, why, or where. It just, it just didn't add up to me. But as I look at this verse, it helps me to appreciate that actually the Holy Spirit is the great gift. We see this in the book of Luke when Jesus is speaking to the disciples and he says, if you are who are evil know how to give good gifts, Will not your Father in heaven give his spirit to those who ask of him? So the great gift that we receive, having received salvation and become children of God, is the presence of God's spirit in us. And him being in us, he is then able to work in us when he wants, how he wants. Now, it's really important that we don't lose sight of the fact that this is Bible. Some of, some of us have had experiences, myself included, where it's caused us to actually kind of read over these verses. Because we've seen extremes and we've seen, we've experienced all kinds of ideas and all kinds of things that have just caused us to be confused at best. And if not confused, you know what? We can't take it. We're not interested. But if we're going to truly be people of the book, let us accept the fact that these words are in the pages of Scripture and they speak to us today. I do not agree with the community that says that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased today. They no longer are at work or for the church today, but with the last apostle, they stopped. I don't agree with that because you can't. There is too much in the Bible to explain away. Far too much. Like I said before, it's not just here. I mean, Paul takes two whole chapters here and the chapter in the middle, chapter 13, is, is setting the tone and the motive and the, and the right frame of mind and attitude of heart within which the gifts are supposed to be experienced. So all of it is relevant to us. These three chapters, 12, 13, and 14. We see it's in Ephesians 4. So, okay, so healing's not for today, miracles are not for today, but then what about teaching? What about mercy in Romans 12? What, what about serving? 
You see, Paul doesn't discriminate as to what gifts are gifts and what gifts are not. He speaks about all gifts in the same breath, in the same voice. And so for people to say, no, the gifts are not for today, they have to do biblical acrobatics to, uh, to arrive at that. And make the text do backflips and bends and twists that it's not designed to do. The gifts are for today. And that means, as a believer, if you've put your faith in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit and he lives in you and is ready to operate through you. And there are ways in which he does and maybe you don't even realize. And there's a real issue with us giving recognition where recognition's due and celebrating the work of God. And that's something that we need to do more as a church. Celebrating the work of God even as much as it is through individuals. And that might mean highlighting certain individuals and saying, thank God for Brother Carnegie and the way God's working through his life. Now, I can pick on him right now because I know he's not going to get gassed. But it's true. We're able to thank God for a, a, a brother like Brother Carnegie. And I could go into all the reasons why. But we need to learn to celebrate the work of God. And sometimes it can feel like a challenge because we don't want to like, you know, get people's heads swelling and so on and so forth. But God works through people. And we don't want to cause people to stumble. It's, you know, if I you know, really address Brother Andrew from, and, and really you know, give thanks for him and so on, people start feeling jealous, get the green eye bandit. Or as we say in Jamaica, I get red-eye. Envious. That's something that we have to deal with in our own hearts. And if our focus isn't on the common good, we will get envious. But if our focus is on the common good, we won't get envious. We'll join in the applause and we'll rejoice as well. And so I feel like these things highlight some of the struggles that we have to work through. In verses 12 and 13, the apostle speaks about corporate unity. Unity. You look at the verses there in chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so there's a clear emphasis on oneness. We're one. We're unified in Christ by his spirit. Regardless of our culture, regardless of our nationality, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our background, regardless of our academics, regard... You could go on and on. We're one. And yet, verses 14 to 20 add color to the picture of corporate unity. Corporately, as a us, as a people, we are one. Now, I want to ask you, to what extent do you see yourself as one with the people sitting in here? To what extent do you see yourself as one with those who name the name of the Lord among us here at Ecclesia? Honestly. Because you know what they say? They say actions speak louder than words. And there are a lot of things that we can be very good at agreeing to in principle in our heads. They call that mental assent. We assent to something. Hmm, that makes sense. I agree with that. But in practice, we do the opposite. I've heard people go as far as to say, you know what? There are so many Christians who are functional atheists. Because we agree, we give mental assent to God in our head. But in practice, we live like we're atheists. Mm -hmm. 
So to what extent do you, and think about your lifestyle, think about your daily, weekly choices. To what extent does the, your actions communicate that you believe you are one with the people of God here? Really? To what extent are you prepared to get involved in the lives of others? To what extent are you prepared to care for others? To what extent are you prepared to take an interest in others? To what extent are you prepared to serve with others faithfully so as not to um, upset or inconvenience or distress the program of others? See, this is where meism hits the road, where the rubber hits the road. This is the reality. Because we are one and we'd all say amen, hallelujah. And then carry on living like it's just about us. And that could be to various extents. You know, when we know that there's a task to be done and it needs to be done a certain way and we turn around and say, well, look, you know what? I'm going to just do it like this and that's good enough. And we're not going to do it in the way that it needs to be done. We're saying it's really about me. It's not about the one. It's not about us. It's not about... The fact that somebody has to come and redo or complete what you ought to have done says that you're not really about us. You're about yourself. And this is just one of the many challenges that we face and continue to face. And yet we are one. And that's not even something that we need to try and manufacture or manipulate. Christ has made us one. <laughs> I had this thought the other day, right? And it's not a new thought. You've heard me say it before. Christianity is not a social club. Social clubs are, are, are arenas where people come with common interests. And those common interests unite them. We like the same DJ. We like the same music. We like the same football team. You know, we like the same food. We like the same fashion whatever it may be. And these common interests unite us and we get on with one another on that basis. That's a social club. You know what? Christianity is not even a friendly society. Now, why do I use that term? I don't even really know what original friendly societies are all about. I know Brother Carnegie can tell me. But it's okay, not right now. <laughs> Instant, in season and out of season. But listen... We're not a friendly society. We're not just here together based on the fact that we're friends. And, you know, I, I like these guys, you know. They're really kind of cool. And I can kind of relate to them and we can get on well. And so this is what makes it easy for me to come to church. We're not a friendly society. Why do I say that? I'm not saying that we're not friendly. Don't misquote me. But our relationships are not built on friendship. Our relationship are built on Christ and Christian fellowship. He is the common ground upon which we stand. He is the common denominator. He is the focal point and the point of attraction. And so we come together because we share Christ in common. And that is the foundation and also the highest aspiration for us as a people. Christ. So even when I don't feel friendly towards you, I'm going to still be committed. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to serve you. I'm going to still regard you as one with me and me one with you. It's not because, oh, you know what? Don't check for me. Don't text me. Don't phone me. It was never on that basis that we came together in the first place. Now, friendships form and friendships develop. But as we know, when you experience somebody who forsakes Christ, it affects the nature of your friendship. That's going to be standard. That's to be expected. That doesn't mean that you cannot be friendly towards them. That doesn't mean that you cannot be friends with them. But the nature of that friendship is going to change. Because the relationship that we had was never built on friendship purely in the first place. And so I'm not going to fight that. I'm going to own that. And I'm going to recognize 
that in that sense, our friendship might change because the foundation of our relationship has shifted. You no longer are proclaiming Christ in the way that you once did. And that breaks my heart and it, and it, it causes me to weep. But as you continue on that journey, you're going to see that our paths are going to deviate somewhat. And I'm still going to speak to you, but our conversation isn't going to be the same because I'm not going to be co-signing the stuff that you're about. And that don't mean that I don't love you. But if you want to turn around and say, well, you ain't my friend, that's your choice. Because our relationship was never built on that in the first place. But then I'm able to rejoice in the fact that as we come together with our individual and personal commitment to Christ, we are bonded as one, united in the Spirit, by the Spirit. And even when I don't feel like being your friend, I'm challenged to continue to be committed to you because of Jesus. And the fact that he was committed to me when I was his enemy. And so, there is diversity within the unity. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Key verse. God is at, is at work in each and every one of our lives in such a way that it is by his will and purpose that you are a part of his body. Not just the church universal. People like, yeah, man, it's church, man. Everyone is, is I'm, I'm part of every church. Yeah, every church, universal. We're all the body of Christ. But the Bible clearly is given an analogy of the body as a representation of the church. And if you think about the body, the body has clusters and groups of members or limbs or, or items, if you like. And so the heart is the heart and it connects via its arteries to the other parts of the body. But it's in its place. It doesn't wander around. If, 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 if a person's heart ain't where it's supposed to be, we know it's a problem, right? If your hand ain't where it's supposed to be, if your hand is on the back of your calf, that, that's, that's called dysfunction. It's a problem. I don't wake up in the morning wondering where my toes are going to be. Verse 18, the Lord places people where he would have them. And that is in according to his sovereign secret will. We don't have to kind of be laboring, Lord, is this the place where you want me to be? Look. And then we just come and we're like, hmm, I don't really know if this is where God wants me to be. You know, two years later, I really don't know if this is where God, five years later, I really don't know if this is where God wants me to be. You know, that's not our, that's not our portion. We make a decision and we trust God. Trusting that God is at work in us to willing to do according to his own good pleasure. And so if you have a, a, a sense in which the church is accessible to you, you're able to agree with the, the, the teaching of the church. You're able to agree with the vision of the church. And you're able to give yourself in fellowship. Then do that. And you're under no obligation to be anywhere. But you're in obligation to be somewhere. And so get in where you fit in, as they say. But be a part of the church locally gathered. Be a member. This, this terminology isn't used by accident. As talk, Paul talks about being a body of many members. Now in verses 21 to 26, 
we see the apostle contrast, and not even contrast, but establish the fact that the experience of the church is one of interdependence. It's one of interdependence. It's not one of independence, but it's also not one of codependence. It's one of interdependence, mutual dependence. That I cannot say to the hand that I have no need of you. Because you know what, I've, I've got this. And I know God. And I know the word. And I'm mature in the faith. And you're just a waste of time. I don't need you. I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be, a, to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with great modesty. With greater modesty, sorry. which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, notice again, God's work, God's authorship. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division, oneness, unity in the body, but that the members may have the same care for who? Themselves. No, may have the same care for one another. And so God is saying, look, you have something to bring to the table that is necessary. However insignificant it might seem to you, you might feel like I just turn up and it doesn't mean much, but we celebrate you and we rejoice your being here. We are human beings, not human doings. We're not defined by what we do, but by who we are. We are children of God. And so every individual has value, however insignificant and meaningless you might feel. The whole notion of only gathering for fellowship, only, quote-unquote, coming to church when you're serving is a flawed and fatal notion. It's entirely unhealthy because you are not defined by what you do. Your value is not just in the contribution that you make. And so it's not to be done because therefore you rob the body of the richness of your presence and God's work in you. Just being here. I'm sure so many of us can testify to the fact that we came when we didn't feel like it. And not only were we maybe blessed by the praise or blessed by the teaching, but just in conversation. End up really just talking with someone and sharing your heart or someone shares their heart and you're able to pray together or just encourage one another or arrange to meet up. And And so, yes, We have the spirit of the Lord, but I'm not independent because I am part of a body. And no, I'm not codependent. It's not as if I can only function if I'm in company of others. And I can't walk my Christian walk unless I've got people around me to hold me up and I'm completely dependent on them. No, that's the other extreme. People talk about codependency in relationships. <clears throat> and now you have people that feel like they can't live without their partner. It's unhealthy. Every individual is made in the image of God with dignity and value. You don't need no one else to validate your existence. Jesus has already done that. And yet at the same time, we recognize that there is a mutual interdependence in Ephesians 4 let me give you the verse reference 
15 and 16, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. That means mature. <laughs> Literally, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. So everybody plays a part in contri contributing not only to holding each other together, but also equipping one another. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so, your presence and your involvement, your commitment to the unity of the church is essential to our growth corporately. And in verse 26 it says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. We feel the pain when others feel pain. That's why it's hurt so much during the course of this year to see people fall away and denounce Christ. It hurts. And it rocks us to our core. And we feel it. Because these are people who we recognize ourselves to be one with. And we suffer. And don't let that be a surprise that it hurts so much. But Jesus is our strength. And it says, if one member is honored, all rejoice together. A win for you is a win for the team. Because it's a win for the name of Christ. And so we rejoice together. And so we see that there is a clear sense of me versus us being an ongoing tension that is able to be held like a guitar string in such a way that it's able to make beautiful music. We hold that tension. We don't dismiss and belittle the value of the individual and the place of the individual. But we also don't dismiss the value and importance of us corporately. And as we move forward, and as we grow throughout the course of 2016, we'll continue to rejoice at God's work among us. I've heard so many testimonies of those who have got involved with barley loaves on a Tuesday and just been so blessed and so encouraged. The individuals contributing to the work of the whole, corporately serving other than themselves. And not only enjoying the blessing of serving the community and seeing people in the community blessed, but also the joy of serving together with the team. I mean, the banter in the Barley Loaves group, WhatsApp group, is epic. <laughs> epic. I'm not calling no names. <laughs> and there's a real sense of just the joy of being together, one, serving the Lord. Not focused on self, but focused on others. And there are so many different other aspects of church life in which that is a reality. People testify of kind of feeling on the fringes and then they began to get involved and then they really began to experience the joy of fellowship in Christ. Not just coming for what can be consumed with a consumer mentality, but actually, what can I give? How can I share? How can I think of someone other than myself? And it's only then that someone experiences true fulfillment. You don't experience true fulfillment trying to satisfy yourself because we're never satisfied. Like you got the gift that you really wanted for Christmas. It's like two days later and you're thinking about what else you want. You want the upgrade on the software or you want the, the new app that's going to go on the new phone that you just got or like, you know what I mean? It's like we're never satisfied. So in this we see, as we close, God has an order and a purpose. 
and that as we establish our identity, not just as individuals, but as us, as, as a corporate unit, recognizing our personal identity is one with our corporate identity. I am church. Should get t-shirts with that on, right? Kind of deep still. <laughs> I am church. And that's true. Because God, the great I am, is present in his people, the church. And each one of us are church. It's like Pastor Rob said the other day, it's not the building. People walk around and like, we had some people, we, we had a great day on Christmas Day um, doing Christmas dinner and some of the team that came to help, the caterers, rhubarb and custard, they were like, like who are you guys? Like, um, how, like, why are you guys doing this? Are you you're a church or something? Like, well, yeah, we're a church. Oh, we want to come to your church. Where is your church? Oh, this is our church. <laughs> huh? No, it's not about the building. But it's, it's about us, the building. <clears throat> so, um, as we stand, let's just reflect on God's goodness toward us throughout the year. Let's repent of those ways in which we've not held a healthy tension and we've pursued ourselves and our own interests and our own satisfaction and our own glory. And may we look forward to just an increased outpouring of God's spirit among us throughout the course of 2016. Because we are a church here who are God's people for God's glory, desiring to be a healthy church, equipped to disciple, faithful on mission, sharing the gospel of Christ's lordship, broad and deep throughout Lewisham and beyond. And it's wonderful to see the way God has been doing that among us throughout this past year. Can I give you that, bro? Young Adults Fellowship, Barley Loaves, Little Lambs, 1830s, Family Fellowship, Community Groups, Corporate activities that do not contradict the, the needs of the individual, but contribute toward. And yet recognizing that it's not just an organized corporate experience, but it's organic individuals coming together, loving one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, serving one another as we serve the lost in unity. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace towards us. And Lord, we do ask that you forgive us for where we've got it wrong, where we've not put you first. Forgive us, Lord, for putting ourselves first and really just um, paying lip service to unity. Forgive us, Lord, for those times and those ways in which we've actually worked against unity and we've spoken against our church as if we're not speaking against ourselves, as if we're not speaking against our brothers and our sisters. Forgive us, Lord, and help us, Lord, as we press on to be more healthy, to be better equipped, to be more faithful. Help us, Lord, to be stronger together it's true, Lord, that we are better together. So have your way in, in us and among us, Lord, we pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the one who has established our unity. And you are the bond of our unity. That your spirit present among us puts us all on the same page instantly. It's for us to maintain that. Help us, Lord, by your spirit, we ask. And Lord, pour out your spirit among us, Lord. May your gifts flourish among us, Lord.
May you manifest your presence among us to bless in, in unusual ways, Lord, we pray. But not for our individual glory, but for yours alone. For the glory of your name, Lord. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.